That's great. Happy Mother's Day to everyone, especially my mom. Where's my mom? There she is. I love you, Mom. <clears throat> um, I wanted to introduce you to somebody who may not have had a chance to meet yet. Russ, would you stand up real quick? This is Russ Miller. Wave at everybody. Great. Thanks. Russ is uh, my oldest son's fifth grade teacher. And Russ is a rock star teacher. He is the teacher that everybody wants to have, and I guarantee you that Mr. Miller is undoubtedly my son's favorite teacher. And one of the reasons I wanted you to see who he was and encourage you to meet him is because he has made a significant decision that I can relate to, I know Bruce can relate to, and that is he has chosen to leave something that he loves as a teacher to do something he's really passionate about at the Texas Boys Ranch. Um, Russ, even while he has been teaching, has been involved in the Texas Boys Ranch, and he will now serve on staff with them as the, let me get this right, uh, education, recreation, and spiritual director. Um, And so Russ has a big job, obviously, by the title. Uh, Most importantly, the significant impact he has on the spiritual lives of people uh, from difficult family situations who need hope. And Russ is going to tell them where that hope is. And so will you pray for him? and uh, ask God to give him strength to direct them in that way. Um, Russ is a part of a group that uh, meets uh, with me and some other guys uh, in a discipleship uh, relationship, and so we're excited about how the Lord is going to use that to equip him to do what God has called him to do. Um, If you want to know more about what Russ does, I think they have an open house next weekend, and uh, I know he'd love to tell you about that and share what's happening at the Boys Ranch, but please pray for Russ and what is uh, happening in his his life. I'm glad you're here. Um, the other thing I wanted to just share with you briefly is uh, something that you have influenced me on, and, and I wanted to explain what I mean by that. Uh, this week, David Allison, my former boss, he's the CEO at UMC, called me and said, hey, they're doing a benefit concert for Donnie Allison. Uh, Donnie Allison is, if you know, is a musician here in town. He's been a part of the Cactus Theater for for years and years, a great man. And I met Donnie when I was at the cancer center, and he was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, just immediately formed a connection with Donnie. And uh, David said, hey, we're doing this benefit concert for Donnie. Would you be willing to say a few words? You know, that when I got that request, my immediate thought was, oh, man, I don't think I can do that. Um, but then I remembered <laughs> you and what we've been talking about together, and what I'm telling you to do to be a light in the world, to be an ambassador for Christ. <laughs> and I thought, how can I not do this? So I took the opportunity yesterday <clears throat> to speak at uh, this great event uh, in support of Donnie, but to share uh, about the love of Christ and the hope that we have in him. And so thank you for being encouragement to me to do what I'm asking you to do and living out our faith as an ambassador and sharing the hope that we have in Christ. And and these are the kinds of things that, as we will see in our passage this morning, that we are called to do together. We're going to see how Paul calls us to walk in a pattern, to live life as a family, to declare the goodness of who we are in Christ and what he has done on our behalf. And so we're in this thing together, me with you and and us together. And so we're going to spend some time seeing how God directs us through his word this morning. Before we do that, let me pray for us. God, we're so grateful for um, the repeated message that we continue to hear, even in this one letter, 
that you inspired through the pen of Paul to encourage us to live a life worthy of the gospel, to live by your spirit, to walk in unity, and to declare with boldness the utmost excellencies of your work in our lives and in the world for your good purposes because of your great love. Father, may we understand that even more deeply this morning as we examine your word together. We submit ourselves to you, the work of your spirit in our hearts and in our lives. We love you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Turn, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. Let me just uh, read, starting in verse 15, and if you would, follow along with me. Paul says, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to to the pattern that you have in us. As we have seen in his letter so far, Paul does a beautiful job of explaining a truth, and then he always follows it with a practical application. In our passage this morning, he will do the very same thing again. He says, let us therefore. In other words, based on what I just shared with you, here's how I want you to apply it. And notice that he speaks to a specific audience. He says, let us therefore as many as are perfect. Now, at first this seems confusing, doesn't it, when you hear that? Because we think back to verse 12, where Paul said in verse 12, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. So which one is it? Is he perfect or not perfect? Is this tongue-in-cheek or does he mean what he's saying? In this passage, I think we find some clarity in the command that he gives. He says, let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. What attitude? Well, because of the pattern we see in Paul's letter, we know he is speaking of the attitude he just finished talking about. The attitude that forgets what lies behind and reaches forward to what lies ahead. The attitude that doesn't look back on everything that I have accomplished, but only those things that I have found in Him. Not that what I find security in apart from Christ, but who I am because of Christ. Looking forward, our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. What Paul is describing here is an attitude of of mature Discernment. In fact, that word perfect can be translated and often is translated mature. In fact, if you have an NIV, that's what it says, isn't it? To as many as are mature. Paul uses this same idea back in 1 Corinthians when he is trying to bring order to the chaos in the Corinthian church. They're all excited about these sign gifts of of tongues and, and prophecy. They become intrigued by the supernatural. And in their immaturity, they were more interested in, in a personal 
display a spiritual power than a humble submission to that spirit and serving the people of God. This was a, look at me, look what I can do, church. And it was childish. And so Paul tells them in chapter 14, verse 20, he says of 1 Corinthians, he says this, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, but in your thinking be mature. That seems to be the same idea that Paul has in mind in our passage this morning. It's childish to assume that you know it all, that you've arrived. He says, be mature and know that we're all in process. Don't become prideful in your past accomplishments. Be humble in your daily decision to surrender to Christ. In other words, don't get ahead of God. Do everything in response to His initiative. That's the point that Paul makes next. And and I personally feel like these are some of the most comforting words in all of Scripture when he says, And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal it to you. (laughs) Praise God that He does not leave us to ourselves. Amen? If in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal it to you. Because when we take charge, when when it's all about me, we will inevitably mess things up. Just ask the Corinthian church. But in His grace, just as He promised, God has given us a counselor, the Spirit of truth who is with us and who lives in us. Not a, a power to be wielded, but a person of the Godhead to whom we must surrender. It is His Spirit who teaches us what we need to know and reminds us of what we have been taught. When the Bible says, as we've seen back in chapter 1, verse 6, He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, That perfecting work is accomplished through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who brings people to the knowledge of the truth. Not great pastors, or great teachers, or great theologians. It is the Spirit who brings people to the knowledge of the truth. Those who are seeking to know Him more. That's why Paul is so adamant about having this attitude of humility throughout this letter. He understands that the greatest barrier to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is spiritual pride. And spiritual pride being that attitude that says, I think I'm doing okay. I'm comfortable with what I know, and if I get in trouble, I know where to go. We stop seeking Him like we did at first because we stop needing Him like we did at first. And when we lose this sense of dependence, when we stop listening to His voice, it grieves the Holy Spirit to be set aside. It inhibits the work of God in our life. It stunts our spiritual growth. And because we are connected to one another in a body, what affects one person impacts us all. If you would, turn 
to the book just before Philippians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. I want you to see how Paul writes about what I just shared. Verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And listen to this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, spiritual pride rejects the work of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual pride segregates us into factions, uh, subgroups within the body of Christ. Spiritual pride assumes that dogmatic position that I'm right and you're wrong. And until you come over to my side, I'm going to take my toys and go play in someone else's sandbox. (laughs) That's childish. That's immature. It creates bitterness, wrath, jealousy, and all the other words you can think of that describe disunity. And this grieves the Holy Spirit. And when it happens, God will get our attention. That's a promise. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? Our submission to the Holy Spirit exalts the name of God. It invites His perfecting work in our life. It promotes the unity of the body. Paul says, let us keep living by this standard that has been achieved by the work of Christ, is his point. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have seen in us. First of all, I want you to notice that this is a collective example. Not one person, but multiple people. He says, observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Earlier we said that, he says, let us keep living by the same standard that we have attained. Those are plural pronouns. This is a collective testimony of the church. The pattern of God's people. It is the example of Epaphroditus, as we saw earlier in the letter, the messenger and minister to Paul's need. The one who came close to death for the work of Christ. It's his example. It's Timothy. And they know that because of his proven worth to them. The only one, as Paul says, of kindred spirit who will genuinely care for their needs. Why? Because unlike so many others, he is unselfish, considering the needs of others as more important than his own. It's the example of Timothy. What Paul is is describing here are those who are being perfected. Not perfect, those who are being perfected. Now, I want you to think about this. Because I believe this is significantly important for the church today. We, Melanie Park, need to be a a people who follow this pattern. Our lives need to be a consistent testimony of Holy Spirit transformation. 
In other words, we need to have a story to tell about what God has done, is doing, and promises to do, yet future, in our life. Because we follow Him as His children. Because here's the reality. A dead church is a church that does not have a story to tell. And therefore has no example to follow. That's why we encourage things like the brown bag lunch. Why are we doing that? Because there's a story to tell. There are women who get up each week and they describe the faithfulness of God in their life. They're examples that we can follow. Not because they're perfect, but because they're being perfected. I can't tell you how many times somebody has come up to me and They've told me, you know, I, I was feeling so discouraged in my situation. I didn't think that there was any possible way that this was going to change, and I was just going to have to live with it. And then I heard Linda or, or Lisa or, or someone else, Julie, tell about God's faithfulness in their life, and I, I realized that same God can do the same thing in mine when I tr- trust in Him and choose to follow Him. Stories are important. It's the same testimony that we see happening in apples of gold. Older women investing in the lives of younger women. Why? They have a story to tell about God's work in their life. Lessons that have been learned along the journey of life, not because they're perfect, but because they are being perfected. There's a group of men in our church who have been diligently working on a mentoring culture for men in our body. And they are working to equip older men with what they need to invest into the lives of younger men, to to teach them to grow in their faith and to lead as spiritual leaders in their family and in their marriages and in their jobs. I personally could not be more excited about the work that they're doing and is even now unfolding. Even what I write in the back of the bulletin every week is purposeful because it's intended to be another story of transformation. When we do our prayer and praise, which Chris is so faithful to lead with us, we always include stories of transformation. My point is this. We need to be a people who speak often about God's work in our life. His faithfulness in our difficulty. His strength in our weakness. Because a church that does not have a story to tell is a dead church. A vibrant church, on the other hand, is a church where the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work is seen in the lives of its people through the testimony of their faith over and over again. Not because we're perfect, but because we are being perfected in submission to the work of his holy spirit my prayer is that we would be that church that the conversation over dinner and small groups and wherever that may occur always includes talk about what god is doing in our life to draw us closer to himself for the work of his kingdom on earth Because look at what Paul says next. Turn back to Philippians chapter 3. And look with me in verse 18. Paul will warn us 
of the fact that if we're not following this example that he just shared with us, that there is an influence that surrounds us that will quickly grab our attention. And look what he says, beginning in verse 18. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies to the cross of Christ, whose end, <clears throat> end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. I think what Paul wants the reader, including us, to understand when he writes this wor- these words is that there is no neutral ground. In our walk with Christ, we are either following Him in the pattern that we have in His people, or we are following the world in the pattern of those who are enemies to the cross. And he says it right up front. That path that the world will lay out will always end in destruction. You'll remember last week how we talked about how God interrupted Paul's path, literally stood before him, and he presented him with the choice. He said, you can either live apart from me and lose your life, or you can surrender to me and I will give you new life. That's basically the choice that he made. One path is a path of of pride and independence. It's a path where every man does what is right in his own eyes. It's the path where we have confidence in our accomplishments and our ability to stand on our own. Paul says, that path leads to destruction. And those who walk it are not living in freedom at all. In fact, he says, they are slaves to their desires. It's what he describes next when he says, They are those whose God is their appetite. You see, having an appetite is not the problem. It's when your appetite becomes your God, that's the problem. That's what is described in the Garden of Eden when Eve was faced with this choice. And you'll remember what it says. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate it. Eve forsook God to follow her appetite. And so her appetite became her God. And then Adam quickly did the same. John describes this appetite as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the sinful pride of life. Now, this can definitely mean, and often does, immoral choices like adultery or, or pornography or Greed, or or any form of addiction. Those things that once you start feasting on them, you no longer control them, they control you. But I would also suggest that he has in mind the the things that are benign, but equally as dangerous. Things like hobbies, special interests, even rest and relaxation. I've had several conversations just this week with people who've told me, you know, we are so busy with baseball and stuff going on, and but we'd really love to be at church, but we just don't have time. That's just, in fact, that's the only day we have for rest and relaxation. So that's what we do. We would love to be in a small group, but we're so busy traveling, we just couldn't be consistent like we think we should, so we just don't do it at all. Now, now I know I'm meddling, and I'm doing it on purpose. Because here's the warning, and I want you to listen. 
Beware of any pleasure, malignant or benign, addiction or hobby, that impedes you from a passionate pursuit of knowing Christ. Beware. Because when your appetite becomes your God, you will leave your first love. You will leave your first love. And so if this is striking a chord with you, then I encourage you to go before the Lord. Ask Him to reveal to you what is the priority in your heart and in your life. What you seek after most and what you fit in when you have time. When given the choice between following where God is at work and doing what you want to do, which do you choose? And be reminded, as Paul says, there's a promise here. (laughs) That if anything you have the wrong attitude, the Spirit of God will reveal that to you. The question is, are you listening? And maybe there's a question before that. Are you asking? And then, are you listening? So as Paul says, the world influences to choose the wrong path, to feed our soul with the wrong food. And then Paul says, they seek the wrong joy. His, his words are, they glory in their shame. My family and I had a devotional recently, and here's how it went. We each had a beautiful piece of homemade chocolate pie with whipped cream piled on top. Put it in front of each person, and then I gave the instructions. I said, here's the deal. We are going to enjoy this piece of pie, but here are the rules. No hands, no forks, no spoons. You've got to dive in and go get that thing. And the goal is to see who can eat it fastest first. You could just see, especially Grant. Boing! <laughs> he, was, he was licking his chops. So sure enough, all right, Mark, set, go. Boom. Faces down. We were in that thing just, and we came up, and it was all over our face. Grant, Grant was blowing out whipped cream boogers. <laughs> That's pretty cool, John, too, isn't it? You see what I'm talking about? And then there was a point to this. We said, Okay, this is funny. We got stuff all over our face, but how cool would this be if you walked into school tomorrow looking like this? Would that be cool? Wouldn't be cool, would it? And then we described what it is in reality to walk around with whipped cream on your face in a mess and think it's cool. It's like those who talk back and disrespect their parents and think it's okay. Or those who make fun of other kids. It's whipped cream on your face. And you think it's funny. It's not funny. It, it was a great lesson for our kids, but it's an equally important lesson for us as adults. It's no less ridiculous for us to walk around with pie on our face, glorying in our shame, and thinking it's funny. In fact, it takes grieving the work of the Holy Spirit to a whole nother level. It's the pattern of those who not only ignore His conviction but are unashamed of their sin. They're comfortable with their independence. They don't need time with God, and they have better things to do than be in fellowship with His people. The Christian life lived on my terms is not the Christian life at all. It is the pattern of the world. It is the influence that surrounds us. And the result in our life is that it causes us to to strive towards the wrong goal. It causes us, as Paul says next, to set our minds on earthly things. 
That describes our life when we live for immediate gratification, considering the eternal, not considering the consequences of our decision. In particular, the eternal consequences to our decisions. Those who choose worldly wealth over spiritual wealth. Those who choose worldly comfort over spiritual comfort. Those who choose worldly satisfaction over the satisfaction of knowing Him. The power of His resurrection. The fellowship of His sufferings. Being conformed to His death. When our minds are set on earthly things, Jesus is no longer the main thing. He's an addendum. Someone who exists but is not elevated as He deserves to be our greatest passion. But Paul gives us a different pattern, doesn't he? His example was the decision to sacrifice everything in order to gain the only thing that he truly needs. Not just once, remember, but every single day. Surrendering our will to follow God's will. Our agenda to follow God's agenda. That's the Christian life. Is that the pattern that you are choosing to follow? Take it to the Lord. If anything, you have a different attitude. He will reveal that to you. The question is, what? Are you listening? Are you listening? Paul closes by redirecting our focus. Look at verse 20. He says in verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has given, uh, He has even to submit or subject all things to Himself. It, basically, as we've said before, Paul is saying this world is not our home. Remember, as we've talked about, how Philippi was a very proud city. They were proud of their Roman citizenship, one of the very rare cities outside of that Roman uh, region that could make this claim. And, And so Paul grabs a hold of that and he reminds his reader that they are not living to be a good Roman citizen. If he were writing to us today, a people who are also proud of our citizenship, he would remind us, you are not living to be a good American citizen like the philippians we are citizens of heaven the world is not our home and because of that we don't look to the world to fulfill our deepest needs in fact we accept the reality that we nor this world will fully be what we are created to be this side of heaven our eager anticipation is for our day of redemption The day, as Paul describes here, that that transformation process is complete. Body, mind, and soul. The day His resurrection power that we know in part will then be known in full. The day God makes all things new. Perfect and complete. As we finish up, I want you to notice something with me that that really grabbed my attention as I spent time preparing for this morning. And I I want you to uh, walk through this with me, and we're going to close with this. When we have examined this uh, letter together, 
Paul definitely is encouraging towards a certain attitude, isn't he? He's, as we've seen this morning, teaching us to walk by a certain pattern. But I want you to notice that everything he is, has said in terms of what we are supposed to do is always, always in response to what God has done beforehand. Let me show you what I mean. The verse that we looked at, chapter 1, verse 6, that I mentioned to you, says this. It says, He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So what that tells me, if he began the good work, he moved first. Right? He initiated. It starts with God. But then in chapter 2, verse 13, it says this. It says, for it is God who is at work in you to both will and to work for his good pleasure. So what we saw in chapter 1, verse 6 is God started the work. Now in chapter 2, verse 13, it says God is continuing the work. And then what does our verse say today in verse 21? Does it not tell us that he will finish the work? He says Jesus Christ will yet transform our body of this humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Could it be more clear that this is not about what we do for God, but about what God has done for us? What he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. This is a story about God, not a story about Todd, you and I are the objects of his greatest affection. The creator of the universe has humbled himself in order to lift you up. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you. So so what is the right response (laughs) to that deepest affection. I believe that's why Paul wrote this letter, to tell us the right response. He calls us to have the same attitude, which is also in Christ Jesus, and to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is not about what we do for God. It's about what God has done, is doing, and will do in the lives of his people. How we respond is the issue. In conviction by the Holy Spirit and surrender to his work in our life. We need to have that continual prayer day by day. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. This is about you, your name. And how you choose to use me to bring you glory. May I be that person. Amen. Let's be that church. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that we are those people who walk in the pattern that you would have us walk. Because we are walking in the good works that you've prepared beforehand. This is about you. What you are doing in this world to make your name great. Because it is great to glorify you to all the nations 
with the desire that we might surrender to you as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would be a people who find ourselves daily surrendering our heart to you, seeking your will over our own, that we would uh, ask you and then we would listen to you so that your perfecting work will continue in our lives through our submission and surrender to the work of your Holy Spirit. God, please protect us from grieving your spirit because we have turned a deaf ear. Protect us from disunity and malice and anger and jealousy and those things that only result when we stop following you and start following what's right in our own eyes. May we be a people who are dependent upon you and proud of that fact. May we follow you faithfully and surrender to your will. We pray this in your name. Amen. Y'all have a great day.